0: Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Questions from the Pew. Uh, Since our last season was cut off, uh, we decided to re-release the intro podcast to this upcoming series that had originally been the last episode of last season. Uh, So if you didn't listen to it, here's your your chance. Uh, And if you already have, uh, it'll make a good refresher to start this new conversation. So thanks again for joining us and enjoy the podcast.
1: In the initial visit with the new doctor, a question that is frequently asked is about the patient's family history. The doctor asks, do you have any family history of X, Y, or Z? Even if the patient can't remember every detail of the family's medical history, the doctor records them in the patient's file anyway. All of this is to help the doctor better understand the patient and his or her medical condition. The current treatment begins with a look back. This is a helpful metaphor to use for diagnosing the state of American Christianity.
0: The American church has had a long and often dark history when it comes to its involvement with issues of race. From slave owners' use of the Bible to keep human beings in subjugation to the more modern denominational divisions along racial lines, American Christianity would not look like what it does today without its past, both good and bad. And as much as the American church has improved in many ways on the darkness of its past, there's still work to be done to better understand today's American church and consider ways forward. Part of that work is taking an honest look at the past. In this series, we try to do just that.
1: In this episode, we ask, how did the American church interact with racial issues throughout its history? How has that shaped the way the American church looks today? We'll be exploring these questions in various ways throughout this series, starting with this episode. All that and more on this edition of the podcast.
0: We're a forum for discussion on the issues that are ruminating in the minds of churchgoers, but that are often not raised from the pulpit. Too long has the church shied away from grappling with tough questions and nuanced issues. We're your hosts. I'm Rikert Zalameda. I'm Lucas Manning. Welcome to Questions from the Pew, where
1: faith and culture meet.
0: Of questions from the queue. We're back. Yeah, we're back in blue for me personally. Anyway. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it was a back in black joke. It didn't work. Anyway, right. let's keep going. Let's keep on. <laughs> let's just act like that did not happen. Yeah, that didn't happen. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> oh man. Well, oh, on I, that so, note, how are you? <laughs> yeah, doing pretty good. You know, another another day in the life. You know, just living the dream. Put, Putting in the grind or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> just made a $500 Lord of the Rings Lego, which was honestly one of the most beautiful moments of my life.
1: <laughs> wait, wait, like the Lego set costs $500 or to you in terms of putting a monetary value on it? No, it, it costs $500. Oh To wow. me,
0: monetarily, I'd say, how much should I pay for that? I don't know. I'd probably pay a lot. It's probably embarrassing how much I would have paid probably for it. Priceless. Yes, priceless. It's currently sitting on my shelf upstairs. It's the first thing you see when you walk in the door. There's
1: <laughs> it does set, look cool. Set the tone for say. visitors.
0: Anyway, Also, we did a yeah, we did a podcast series on Lord of the Rings, so it's a good segue to go listen to that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only reason you bought that Lego set is to plug the, yeah. the series. Really playing the long game there. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I was trying to figure out from the picture you had sent me a picture of that when prior to it being completed. Yes. And I was trying to figure out what it was. Yes. By based on the colors and pieces that I saw. I couldn't yes. figure it out.
0: I mean Rivendell is one of the most beautiful locations in the movie. And then yeah. they just they did a great job on the design, honestly. So, Good shout job, out Lego. to Lego. Great job. Great engineers over there. Do they call them engineers? I don't know what they call them, but I don't
1: know. They're building things, so. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Engineers, designers. Anyway, (laughs) race in the church. (laughs) Perfect segue. Yeah, great segue there. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I guess we can just maybe give it a little bit of a setup beyond our our intro.
1: I mean, this isn't a... We've done episodes on this broad topic uh before so it certainly isn't a new uh topic yeah. we've approached it from a couple of different vantage points
0: yes yeah i mean yeah we did in season zero way back in the questions mm-hmm. from the pew independent days <laughs> 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 uh we did one on uh black panther because that movie had just come out and was That's uh right it was, uh, that was quite a fun the... episode yeah it was a good time um so maybe go back and listen to that yeah, and we've come at this from a lot of different perspectives, um, like forgotten histories, which mostly we've done like American forgotten histories. I feel like, mm-hmm. um, yeah. it, when we've when we've done those uh, episodes. So yeah, we've definitely come at this from a few different angles. I think uh, I think this conversation, at least uh, at least for me, is more focused on the black white. You know, relationship. Not that there's obviously not tons of different perspectives and the spectrum of of just people who live in America and who are affected by you know race relations. Is obviously there's a broad spectrum, um, but that's at least for me that's kind of where I'm coming from. But we'll we'll talk about a lot of different things. See so yeah, how we'll see how it goes though. Yeah, it'll be
1: interesting because we'll be treating the kind of the questions that we discuss in this episode as a starting point um, into more nuanced conversations, um, ideally as we, you know, talk to other people, uh, hopefully through uh, this series Um, or, you know, engage with different um, authors or thinkers on the issue um, and seeing how, you know, the answers that they present to these kind of, you know, starting point questions that we'll be talking about today. So,
0: yeah, I'm pretty excited to see where this goes. Agreed, agreed. All right, shall we uh, jump on in? Yeah.
1: A question from the pew. All right, let's jump into question one. How did the American church interact with racial issues throughout its history?
0: Ooh, I mean, yeah, more of a it's factual be a fun. question. <laughs> yeah, 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 which is kind of fun. And I mean, I guess caveat off the top, neither of us are historians. Sure. Um, but I think hopefully we're going to talk to some at least historian adjacent folks, you know, guests mm-hmm. and like you know historian authors. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for instance, like I just got done reading *The Color of Compromise* by Jamar Tisby, which is a great book. He's a historian, um, and basically it just traces the church's, uh, I guess, like complicity in racism throughout, you know, the history of America. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of what I'm going to be talking about draws from that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess if we want to just start at the beginning, I don't know if that's a, it's usually yeah, a good like place broads- to start.
1: Kind of a broad sweep. Yeah. Um, Emphasis on the broad. We are obviously not going to be able to cover every detail or, you know, every nuance of particular historical situations. But, you know, give us a broad lay of the land at least, maybe. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, I guess, I mean, when this all started, I guess, is, you know, the Atlantic slave trade, um, which a crazy thing I was thinking about is – Like, so the first slaves get to America in—the first African slaves get to America in 1619, which is 400 years ago. So, like, before the Civil War, like, people are used to seeing black slaves in America for, like, 200 years, you know what I mean? Or 200 years plus, which just makes it so ingrained, like, in the, the way that America functions, you know what I mean? Or the United States, I should say. That was just – this is a little bit of a sidebar to start with. but And I was just thinking, like, 200 years ago today is, like, 1823. So if something was happening mm-hmm. for that long, you know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. Like, it's just – it's going to be very entrenched, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. it's going to be a established, entrenched, you know, part of mm-hmm. society that isn't easily overcome. And now, obviously – you know, it's been over 400 years since then. Uh, Not that slavery has been going on that long, but um, it's just, it's a long history, let's just say. Mm -hmm. Um, And so obviously that history is going on and then it's like, well, what is the church doing? And like a lot of what the church did was, so like you had missionaries, right? Um, Who wanted to like evangelize to slaves who had, you know, been brought over and wanted to, you know, spread Christianity and, you know, obviously just, the message of jesus but then you know they're kind of confronted with you know freedom and liberty and these you know i guess these like ideals that uh that one like like the european settlers like have and then obviously that are like very present in the bible <laughs> mm-hmm. and so then they have to make a choice of like wait if we convert these slaves to Christianity, are they then like Christian brothers and sisters? And then do we have to like liberate them, you know, because they are brothers and sisters. Uh, and then there's, you know, obviously slave owners and like landowners, plantation farmers, obviously don't want to release unpaid labor. Um, so missionaries have to make a compromise with, slave owners that okay we can evangelize to your slaves but then like the freedom and liberation that the bible offers is like just spiritual Mm -hmm. in nature that way you you can keep what you want we can evangelize to black slaves and then like we're all good you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um so that's like kind of it's just like an early way that christianity was in like was intention and then had a resolution to like the to racism or just like you know the institution of slavery in this case which obviously mm-hmm. i think has had lasting effects but yeah yeah i
1: think pretty so obviously slavery racism or what we would call you know what we would now call racism um had um like they were present you know in, in the pre-modern era obviously sure um and so it's not new, but the American experiment um, seems to be unique in that it was the building of a new society. So um, like the, the joint effort of, um, of colonial imperialist forces with the religious um, yeah. made for a deadly combination sure right because then your your the the church then was um went hand in hand with uh with subjugation uh, at that point hmm. and so yeah it was um it was at that point it becomes hard to uh to divide the the theology of it with the with just like the, the civil the conquest nature, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. of everything, um, for sure. And so that, and so, the one thing that I just was, um, like that, that, I kept coming back to when I was thinking about this question uh, was you mentioned it already, but just the spiritualizing of the kind of freedom elements, the, yeah. um, the social implications uh, yeah. that we see in the New Testament, um, where in the New Testament there is, um. Kind of a there's a tension there between what it means to um to call you know someone a brother and sister in christ while they are enslaved yeah, um, yeah. and we see that tension like particularly in the book of philemon uh yeah, right yeah. so the um the slave is being sent back to his um to his master um, after having converted to christianity um, and there's a whole letter, you know. There's that's a whole letter devoted to that, and we see yeah. bits and pieces of those kinds of tensions beyond even just the the slave issue or the you know the ethnic uh, issues in the New Testament. Just how, um, yeah, how the social, like the status quo, um, is to be interacted with at that point yeah, in yeah, light yeah. of the like the new reality of. You know, calling each other brothers and sisters in Christ. Sure. Um, yeah, well, and, and I yeah. think,
0: I think, yeah, it'll, the American story when it comes to Christianity interacting with, you know, race issues, I think does start with slavery, but it's a very specific type of slavery, uh, which was different in a lot of ways than the slavery of the New Testament, which obviously, like the slavery of North Atlantic slave trade was, you know, race-based um and like the people uh i guess the people constructing the slave trade you know the structures of the slave trade uh were like christians whereas you know the christians in the bible obviously aren't in power so when paul's writing for onismos is that his name no philemon philemon to accept onismos uh the, Paul's not writing the rules of the society. You know what I mean? He's not, there's no democratic system. You know, if you're not, if you're not Roman and you're not emperor, you don't have power to craft structures. You know what I mean? Uh, so I think that's the big, because so, I mean, this, this goes, or this was an example of how the Bible was used by slave owners to, you know, keep you know, slaves in subjugation you know, black people, you know, keep them oppressed, was to say, you know, there's slavery in the Bible. Clearly it's not repudiating it. So a lot of, like, Southern theologians are saying, well, there's no, you know, they're not condemning slavery. Therefore, clearly it's an institution that, like, is compatible with, you know, Christian ethic and blah, 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 blah. I think why they're wrong is, you know, the differences in the slavery of, slavery and, like, social situation of Christians in you know, the early church times versus early America, early United Mm -hmm. States times, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. What's fascinating to me is like during the era in which, you know, slavery, um, like slaves were being imported to the, um, to the new world. Um, and it had kind of like a, again, there was that spiritualizing, um, of the themes of, of scripture, um, to kind of legitimate the the practice uh, of yeah. slavery, on on like on one continent that was happening, whereas in um, in Europe you had the abolition of the slave trade. Sure, um, and a major player of that were evangelical abolitionists. Right. You know, you know, you've got people like William Wilberforce, a uh, committed totally. Christian, and he was kind of leading the charge. Um, uh, you know, from that yeah. political side of things it's just really interesting that you know to your point about kind of just the mishandling of uh of scripture misinterpretation of scripture um there's just a stark such a stark divide there about you know regarding um two groups of people handling you know using the same book to kind of undergird political action sure or, so, yeah, socio-political action.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the thing. And to your point, it's not to say that there weren't people in the United States who were, you know, abolitionists and, sure. and trying to do that kind of a thing. But also, like, the number of them was relatively small. Mm-hmm. And probably most, you know, at least definitely in the South, were not that, you know. Uh, or were just, like, you know, kind of going along with, with the status quo. Um Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, there's a, there's all, there's like a number of scriptures that I think we were often pointed to, obviously, like, I mean, Philemon is one of them. The Mark of Cain was an interesting one for like legitimizing, like specifically racial, like slavery due to like skin color and race, like race differences. Like, so I forget who I should probably know that, but I forget who it was, but basically it's like the Mark of Cain and in, in Genesis four, like, uh. It's when Cain says, like, this is too, like, harsh of a punishment. People are going to kill me. Like, um, which, what people are going to kill you, Cain, if Adam and Eve are the only humans? But that's another rabbit hole which we won't go down. (laughs) Uh, But obviously, like, you know, he's worried. And then, you know, kind of as an act of mercy, uh, you know, God says to him, you know, I'll protect you with this mark. And, you know, no one's going to touch you. No one's going to hurt you. Um, But they see that mark as, like, the mark was now you're like a black person that was like the quote unquote mark of cain uh which which honestly if you trace cain's like lineage through the bible it's often in opposition to you know the chosen line uh mm-hmm. that's going to carry the seed of the woman um so then they just make it so that you know black people are essentially the i guess inferior but also kind of like the villains of the story you know what i mean so mm-hmm. it like it necessitates their enslavement or something like that. So there's like all these, I mean, I guess that's like the thing about the Bible is if you want to be really creative and uh, like you can, you can make it say what you want it to say. um,
1: Well, there was the, there was the, yeah, well, there was the power dynamic there too, right? Of like, you've got the literate, you know, elite or the um, literate plantation owners. Um, who kept the their slaves illiterate um, sure. for the sake of um, guaranteeing the power for themselves to right. I- interpret scripture, right? Um, and yeah, which is why the you get the kind of the oral nature of traditions in the black church and. Um, yeah, all these different aspects. But a large part of that, again, um was due to kind of that um that power play right um on the part of a white plantation owners or white slaveholder.
0: Yeah, and that's and not even just like literacy, but they like wouldn't let uh like black slaves like gather in churches. So obviously like, you know, if they're if the slaves, you know converted um then like you know it's kind of it's kind of just like the assumption of christianity right it's like well you're welcome in the gathering um but then obviously you know <laughs> black slaves come to the gathering and then just hear you know kind of just one position the white slave owner position of scripture and then they want to gather on their own so they try um and some you know some are able to in secret um and some learn how to read and you know can actually study the Bible and, and preach the Bible for themselves. Um, but obviously there's just opposition to that, uh, like black early black church movement within slavery. There's opposition to that the whole way, you know what I mean? Even like, you know, the Revolutionary War comes around and the Great Awakening of, I guess, 18th century. Uh, you know, these, well, one's a big political movement and then another is a, obviously a a large religious movement. And even like these I don't know, like revolutionary ideas, they don't they don't overturn what's been established and what's working, you know what I mean? And especially at that point, slaves have been in the Americas for, you know, centuries. So yeah, I mean it's just, anyway, it's just it's just interesting. And a lot of a lot of what Jamar Tisby's book is like uh, illustrates is like there were many points where there could have made a there could have been another decision that was made, you know like there was an option um like for instance the the Christian missionaries who wanted to evangelize or you know during these times of i mean a revolutionary war is a big time of upheaval where you can rewrite the rules, you know what I mean, and you know obviously uh you know people will point to the founding documents of the United States as you know very progressive every not that they were the first of their kind, but you know. Every person has, you know, basic rights, and so these are times where we could have the tr- and the church even even uh, I guess even separate from the civil authorities, though at that time everything's uh, to your point everything's connected, uh, but the church you know could have made its own you know kind of revolutionary statements, but you know it didn't, um, mm-hmm. and things just continued, you know, continued like that through kind of the antebellum phase and then obviously you know the civil war you know civil war violently erupts but yeah and i
1: mean the i think the capitulation to the status quo right where you're you know the church was faced with a um uh with the decision um and chose to you know in in the words of tisby right chose to compromise instead yeah. of upending uh the status quo um hmm. yeah that's that's a i think that's a common thread that runs through throughout this history um hmm. yeah the history of of race and and american christianity like the the thread of again capitulation to the status quo and this idea of compromise you can trace that down to even modern times where um i think it was um was it billy Graham, i think right had uh um had taken a certain stance on like civil rights issues sure at one point and then there was a moment where he um where he essentially he flipped on it um and uh, kind of made the move to integration um, yeah uh, i don't know all all the details, um, I'm trying to look up, maybe I shouldn't even say that. I
0: know, like, early, like, early on, before, uh, before integration, or before segregation was, like, made illegal, he had, like, he, like, moved the ropes at a, at one of his rallies or whatever, and it was, and wanted everyone to integrate, essentially. Right. Um, but I also know, I mean, there are many times I've, I believe that he called m l k to like chill out, you know what I mean, which was yeah. i mean that's that's what compromise is right it's uh and that's what m l. k was writing to like uh letter from a Birmingham jail is like towards like white moderate people who are like, you know, yeah, we want equal rights, but like just let the system do it, and like let you know mm-hmm. do it yeah. when it's right, when it's the right time right <laughs> you know right
1: yeah there's a, um there's a in what interview um oh. In an interview with the Associated Press in 2005, when Graham held his, um, I think it he looked like his final crusade, Graham said that he wished he had fought more for civil rights, or, like fought for civil rights more forcefully. Sure. Um, particularly, he said he regretted um, not going to, not joining MLK at Selma. Yeah. Um, yeah, I is, heard that. Um, yeah. The moments of, yeah, even down, all that to say, you know there have been moments that even in you know more modern history uh, totally the, that theme of compromise and yes. whether the american church would capitulate to the status quo totally um, it's still a very real question and a very real choice
0: right institutions, which started, you know, pre-1960, which is like, you know, or even, yeah, pre-1970. Like, for instance, the SBC, uh, Southern Baptist Convention, if you're not acquainted, (laughs) uh, but they were like literally created uh, because the Baptist denomination wouldn't let slaveholders uh, hold office in the denomination or be missionaries. So then the Southern Baptist Convention created its own denomination so that, you know, Slaveholders could hold office and be missionaries. So Mm -hmm. it's, I guess there's these themes of compromise, uh, but a lot of them are even like within the roots of our kind of established, you know, denominations or even like traditions. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so, I I mean, it is just interesting. And the interesting thing too that I find um, when I talk to people about these issues is I think we feel like it, To your point, like, it it gets up to, like, civil rights movement, and then, like, it's done. We fixed it. You know what I mean? Like, we signed the 13th, 14th, 15th Amendments, you know, Civil Rights Act. Everything's good. You know what I mean? Like, we're done. And so I think that's where I think we need to take an honest look at, you know, whether it's done or not. And that's where, uh, like, documentaries like 13th that are on Netflix that show – essentially, like, the mass incarceration that's happened with uh, black people over the past, I don't know, I guess 50 years or whatever. Um, And, like, uh, another thing, I mean, bringing it into, like, more modern times. I mean, I don't know if either of us were really alive for this, but my parents were definitely around and, like, you know, uh, fully thinking adults, like, during the 80s and during, like, law and order uh, times, the war on drugs, the moral majority, uh, all these, like... uh, all of these movements, which um, if you're not familiar, they're kind of I guess like uh, right leaning conservative movements. Um, I mean, it re- that-
1: realistically, it paved the. It was like the foundation for the modern, like evangelical voting bloc. Yes, evangelical in terms of evangelical if you want to take a look at it from a purely political political
0: right and we're not talking about the historic like the four pillars that we've talked about on this podcast right belief system but more so the political uh demographic really yeah so a, a lot of these movements have been criticized for using like coded language which basically is like you can't say you know outright racist uh like language anymore like in the 70s 80s 90s but you can code it behind oh there's you know race riots in a bunch of these cities so we're going to bring law and order which basically just means we're going to sick the police on these black people you know what i mean but it's coded language so it you know people can stomach it mm-hmm. um so that's where i, I guess the trouble uh, the trouble with like I guess, like, more modern incarnations of racism and inequality is they're, like, more covert. So it's kind of an it's, like, tougher to identify. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And a lot of – and I don't just mean tougher to identify for, like, people who are looking for it. I mean, like, people who just live in the United States and are just going about their business, especially, I guess, white people I'm thinking of, it can be very much so, like, invisible. like And that's, like, the – the tough nature of it is that we've we've kind of set the rules of the game and then, like, now because they're just the rules of the game, we don't see them anymore. You know what I mean? Um, and so that's, like, the – I don't know. That's, like, the tough thing with uh, trying to address this issue in, like, the modern moment, if that makes any sense, is that it is, like, I guess more covert than, like, you know – a member of the KKK in a hood and a cloak, Mm -hmm. you know, being crazy or whatever, Mm -hmm. uh, or just murdering people. So I guess the one thing I would say is things have been covert or whatever, and you used to hear hear people, maybe you still hear people talk about, like, a post-racial, you know, United States or whatever. But I would say the last, I don't know, eight years, last seven or six, seven, six, I feel like it's, I don't know if anybody can say we're a post-racial society anymore. You know what I mean? Uh, And not because Mm -hmm. we've regressed, but I think it's just because our progress, quote-unquote, got exposed for what it was, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. which I think wasn't really progress. Mm -hmm. It was just racism morphing to fit the, you know, what people could stomach or, or fit mm-hmm. what was, it's no longer, ta- or it is taboo now. So you can't say those things, um, but it survives mm-hmm. in, mm-hmm. yeah, coded language and just like the way that we organize communities and blah, 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 blah. So mm-hmm. I, mean, and then, and then I guess I would, I'll just say it because you know, why not? I mean, if you have a, if you have pushback, it's great. But I just think like Trump being elected as president, I mean, so like the Republican or like the conservative values of the evangelical voting demographic, like was like the values it had was always uh, connected to moral piety, you know, conservative values, family, stability, you know, all these things. And obviously with Trump, there's absolutely none of that, <laughs> you know, none of those things. Uh, and so I guess for me, and I think for a lot of, people who are concerned about these issues, it was like it was an exposure because it's like, okay, so those things weren't really what galvanized the evangelical vote because 81 of y'all voted for Trump. (laughs) 81%, sorry, not just 81. That would be great if only 81. (laughs) 81%. Um, And I think for a lot of people, and and I'm bringing up the Republican Party not because the Republican Party is evil and the Democratic Party is good or anything like that. But just historically, the evangelical voting bloc, which has represented uh, and been joined by other denominations, they've represented kind of Christianity in this country. They've traditionally galvanized to support Republican candidates within the last fifty years. Uh, so that's why I'm talking about the Republican Party. Um, not that I don't think the Democratic Party has plenty of issues with how it interacts with with race. Um, but I think that I think the election of Donald Trump, who was a figure so disconnected from what a lot of us were told the, you know, conservative position was about. I think that kind of just, I think it ripped the bandaid off, you know, opened all the wounds up that haven't really healed, you know. Um, And so now we find ourselves in a, I guess, an even more I don't know, volatile position, you know, um, which maybe is a good thing because you can't address a problem if nobody thinks it's a problem. Um, but anyway, so I would say the last few years, actually, things have been more out in the open,
1: hmm. and it's exposed. Yeah, um, how do you how do you see that? Then, like that, obviously, as the broad um, context in which the American church is placed, how has that? kind of tied in then with yeah, the theme of capitulation and compromise Yeah, historically has been a thread in the American church's interaction with this kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, so I mean, I think the compromise or whatever stayed there the whole time with, you know, the coded language and the galvanizing of the, you know, quote-unquote moral majority and all that stuff. So I don't, I don't think that the compromise ever went away. But then I think people like to say that it did, Mm. (laughs) you know? And then, uh, and here's, I, I think there were actual like efforts. The term when I was growing up was like racial reconciliation. That was like, I even remember hearing that like at my church when I was young, you know what I mean? Like talking about racial, racial reconciliation. Um, But then I think. When Trump got elected, I think a lot of people of color who are in majority white contexts, like white church contexts or white parachurch contexts, I think got very discouraged because they felt like I've been working towards, mm. you know, kind of. In- I mean, the famous quote is, you know, Sunday is the most segregated day uh, in the United States because churches are still ridiculously segregated. So you have, you know, Christians who are, who are people of color trying to connect with their white brothers and sisters and, you know, do the kingdom of God thing, right? Do the multicultural, multi-ethnic. Our first, like, uh, identity is a Christian. And then, like, because of that, it determines how we relate um, in other ways that are, you know, cultural, ethnic, you know, racial. Um, so I think people were working for that. And then it was kind of a big step back i actually think uh michael emerson said that the like trump being elected as president as president i forget where i read this him saying this was like the single biggest setback to like racial justice in 30 years because it made people who were trying be like there's no point in trying uh because like this is what we get you know what i mean this is you know, eighty-one percent of white evangelicals are going to vote for this guy. Like, clearly, it's not working. <laughs> you know. Uh, anyway, once again, not to say that the Republican Party is evil and everyone who votes Republican is wrong, but you know, just historically, um, that's been the party that you know, evangelical, white evangelical voters have have been behind. So, anyways. Mm-hmm. I mean this is all part of the historical uh the historical like survey. The funny thing is about historical surveys the closer you get to like now, it's like the more controversial it is. <laughs> you know. It's like you say slavery is like an affront on humanity now and it's like, yeah, everybody agrees with that. <laughs> but if you would have said that, you know, two hundred years ago or whatever, uh, you know, who knows what would have happened. So <laughs> But yeah, I just think that that's, I mean, this is just history, you know, if we're going to talk about how we got here, this, this uh, I guess this theme or this thread of, yeah, compromise is a a word, or or complicity, uh, where, to be fair, and what we're talking about is most people aren't the people who are yelling the N-word at black people, or, you know, which there are those people, so that's a real thing. But most people just fit into the category of my life's comfortable and so I'm not going to worry too much about what's happening Mm -hmm. outside of that, you know, Um, which is hard to overcome. Right. Or if,
1: you know, if they are driven to, you know, a certain type of action one way or the other, um, I think our real question that needs to be asked is what was the motivation behind that? Um, Sure. uh, Because like one of the one of the i guess I'll, I'll say benefits of certain um ways of thinking about you know race issues in the US um that are yeah one of the one of the benefits about thinking about this uh in a you know a particular way of thinking um is it forces us to ask like why were these changes enacted was it because mm. there was um, a I don't want to speak in terms of You're pure, saying like impure. the
0: progress the the progress quote unquote right. yeah
1: yeah I'm I'm trying to be vague here on purpose but I might be being I'm, I'm <laughs> probably being too vague there are certain ways of thinking I'll, I'll do it say so I guess there are certain ways of thinking about race in America that are controversial sure um, but are helpful in uh, this way, in particular, in my mind, because it forces us to ask uh, the question of why the pro- you know the quote unquote progress was quote unquote made, sure. uh, whether it was for legitimate reasons. Maybe I'll use legitimate instead of pure and impure. Whether it's for legitimate reasons, or if it was because it um, it favored or sure. uh, it benefited the the status uh, like yeah. the people who are in um you know in that status quo sure um,
0: i guess that's like performative justice right it's like why are these yeah. companies trying to right you exactly know, do whatever it is they're doing they just want you to buy mm-hmm. their stuff and so they'll say mm-hmm. anything whatever is popular they'll say it just please right. buy our stuff you know what I mean yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: And, and yeah As a still I'm trying to be you know vague as vague as possible because I know that you know dropping a particular phrase or whatever will send red flags up to people but I think it's a very real um question that needs to be asked is the motivation behind you know this uh this progress and you you can ask the same in terms of the American church too, right, in terms of the sure. res- historical response so let's take the the reconcili like the, the era where you know reconcile racial reconciliation between churches was a thing that's a beautiful thing, right, sure. but I guess the pessimist in me asks, well why was that happening sure um, right is th- was there a correlation like the highest um like, the highest growth in terms of, like, church attendance is not coming from um, white Christians. Sure. It's coming from people coming from minority populations. Sure. Ethnic and racial minority populations. That's what's growing. Yeah, um, that's interesting. And so is, has there, you know, again, the pessimist in me ask, is is asking, yeah. is the move to reconciliation, could that be, a you know, a part of that, um, sure. To to kind of maintain, yeah. I don't know.
0: No, um, yeah. I mean, again, I th- I'm not
1: I'm not making any claims here, but I'm just posing questions that I think are should be should be asked. No, I in, agree in terms of this discussion.
0: Well, it does seem like sometimes, uh, I guess, like the progress in these social issues. Sometimes, no, not even sometimes. I guess most times, it seems like. I'm speaking specifically of the white evangelical church. You know, we just get dragged along kicking and screaming, you know, Mm -hmm. as it's happening, uh, rather than actually, you know, pushing the, you know, social equity. Um, and, and to be fair, there's other Christians in the United States who have been the people pushing it, you know, for, I mean, famously the civil rights movement was led by tons of church leaders, you know what I mean? So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, I mean, it was a, it was a very Christian movement, not to say that it was as only, you know, there were obviously people who were not Christian, um, you know, who were leading that movement as well. Nation mm-hmm. of Islam, Malcolm X, famously. Uh, so, but, you know, there were obviously Christians pushing as well. And yeah, I, I guess to me, I, I think we're in a very like unique time where the band aid has been pulled off and it's another like moment of decision for mm-hmm. Uh, for the American church where it's like our, you know, you say that you, you know, Billy Graham, obviously he's dead, but you say that you would have advocated more strongly for the civil rights movement, you know, if you could have another go at it. Um, so are you going to put the creativity, the resources, um, you know, the, the hard work into actually resolving these issues now or, because mm-hmm. I mean, that's, and that's like what it takes because you know, because well, maybe I should back up a little bit. I think white Christians are disadvantaged to deal with these things because of our culture, because of the individualism, which actually this this is in "Divided by Faith" by Michael Emerson is the I forget what he calls them, but like cultural tools or something like that, um, where 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 individualist. Um, uh, there's like three important ones. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Yes, okay, these are it. Uh, so accountable, free will, individualism is one, which is obviously, like, the, the individual is responsible for, like, sin or action. Um, relationalism, which is, like, all the problems in the world stem from interpersonal relationship, like, problems, you know what I mean? And so if we just fix the interpersonal problems, we fix the problems. Uh, and then anti-structuralism, which is not accepting that, like, the societal structures influence you know individual behaviors um so so he would say like white people are at a disadvantage for dealing with the issues because they are structural you know what i mean and it's not there's not one individual who's to blame you know you can't point at the Ku klux klan and say there's the racists let's get them out of there and then we're good you know what i mean it's like it's ingrained in how we function as a society um And I only say that because of the statistics of, you know, economic statistics, incarceration statistics, um, that show the inequality. Um, anyway, I think we're at like a, a point where a decision could be made to, to try and, you know, I guess to get on the, not just get on the wagon, but like lead the charge in, I would say racial justice, you know, uh, is, is what I would say, um, and so, you know, there's an option to do that. I think white people are at a disadvantage because the cultural tools we've been given um, aren't, we're not equipped to do that um, as well. So I think it, it is difficult, but I think, you know, we could, it would be my, it would be, honestly, it would, it would make me believe in the world again if if uh, <laughs> if, the, if the white church would lead the charge. And I think it can. I mean, it has the resources and the, you know, connectivity, Anywho, so that's how we're here, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have anything yeah. more to say?
1: No. Oh, I was going to say, I was trying to find a meaningful place to like switch over to question two, which was how has that, you know, the, the, the way the church interact, the American church has interacted with racial issues, how has that shaped the way the American church looks today? And I think we kind of morphed into the into the answering yeah, and talking did, about that of... question as we were in conversation. So I don't think there's any need to <laughs> yeah to separate. Yeah, I guess that. history that, just kind fine. of
0: plays out. You know, there's yeah. no there's no uh, division between then and now.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah, I guess. I mean, for me, it's like one last thought on the, you know, in particular the the reconcili the racial reconciliation kind of phase of American Christianity, which I think in some in some ways it's still alive um, yeah, 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 today in, in some form. Totally. Um is like what kind of meaningful change has that brought to Amer- the American church more broadly? You know what I mean? So there was I can't remember when it was posed to me. It might have been when we were in undergrad, but on the topic of racial reconciliation. Yeah. Like someone asked me, it's like, Well, how many people, you know, after you know, you know, um, there's been racial reconciliation, how many people from the majority culture, mm. you know, go to, you know, end up, you know, switching to, uh, not switching to a church, but like um, choose to be pastored under, um, you know, a, a black pastor or, yeah, yeah. Or, or a Latino pastor. Right. Um, is it still the case that, the rac- the racial reconciliation you know was a was was performed publicly but nothing yeah. substantially changed in the ethos of the church and if it did you know if there is you know a um you know if there is a per- uh, a, a pastor who leads a congregation and he is uh you know an ethnic or cultural minority um how much of the the culture of that church still reflects majority culture though, in terms of the yeah. way the the church operates sure um, or the culture of the church yeah, so those are elements that that kind of constantly run in like questions that constantly run in my mind when I think about these things uh, is because kind of like the what we talked about in in the socio political arena, it's like there there can be policies that be that were you know set in place or things that were changed, um, but there are certain underlying elements that in many ways were not affected or maybe even further entrenched. Sure. Um. In the, yeah, in in yeah. that.
0: Yeah, I agree. Well, I mean, just everything has an effect. You know what I mean? I mean that's why you know people will point to. I guess, like the equal, like policies of today's United States and say, see, there's no system, there's nothing systemic that's wrong. We can't change a law. But I think what people need to realize about the words like systemic or structural or institutional is it's more just about like the history, you know? So for instance, if, uh, black world war two veterans couldn't get benefits from the GI bill, then they can't, you know, buy property and they can't get good education, which those are. Very much so associated with building wealth, and you know, it's uh, sending that down through your kids. Uh, so then it just it starts a pattern that then just continues until you until you take an intentional step to stop the pattern. Uh, and so that's a civil example, but I think that's in churches too, which I guess racial reconciliation at its best was a was an attempt to do that. Um, but I think I, a lot. Yeah,
1: I, I'm certainly not trying to downplay.
0: Yeah, uh, no, you know, no. legitimate
1: attempt, you know, at right. Yeah, I think there I'm were legitimate
0: just, attempts for yeah. sure. Um, but I think where it fell short is a lot of times it was, it was just, it, it worked in as much as the minority, whoever that would have been in whatever situation it was, you know, kind of assimilated or capitulated to the, the white church way of doing things, you know, whether that's music or even like theology and the, you know, how it expresses the truths of the of the Bible. So, yeah, I mean, it was an attempt I'm sure in its best at, I'm sure there were pockets where it was really great and definitely pockets where it was a lot less great. Um, but hopefully, I guess hopefully in, in doing this, you, the listener, I don't know at least has a little bit more context as we go into some of these later conversations mm-hmm. about, you know, how we can help or, you know, right. just more information on what the problem is. Uh, hopefully this is at least a good jumping off point. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And hopefully that's, yeah, that's what this episode is. is a jumping point. It's a starting point for the other conversations that we'll have. And um, yeah, like we said earlier, we'll be kind of, taking probably specific instances of um throughout american church history that sort of thing and then asking those kind of two main questions with obviously some more nuanced questions in between but at least starting off with those two questions um to kind of help us frame where we are now
0: great sounds good thanks for listening to another episode If you'd like to support us financially, you can do so on Patreon. It's just www.patreon.com slash questionsfromthepew. If you can't support us financially, please give us a good rating or review on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on, and that will help others find our podcast. Also, please comment and ask questions. You can do that by following and messaging us on Facebook or Instagram.
1: You can also leave us a short voice message or text message at 312-725-2995. If you do leave a voicemail, please keep it under 30 seconds and tell us your name and where you're from. We'd love to include your voicemail in our Q&R episodes, but if you prefer for us not to, just let us know and we'll include your question in another way and without giving your information. The same goes for any messages you send us on social media or through text. This has been Questions from the Pew, a podcast in the World Outspoken Network. To learn more about World Outspoken and its mission to prepare the Mestizo Church for cultural change, visit www.worldspoken.com For Questions from the Pew,
0: I'm Rikert Zalometta. I'm Lucas Manning. We'll see you next time.